0: Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. This week I am joined by the wonderful Dr. Miriam Sanchez. So we are going to have a conversation about eating disorder treatment, and also working with eating disorders as someone who has personal recovery experience. We're going to talk a bit about what the system gets right and also what the system gets wrong. And overall, just have a very interesting conversation about eating disorders and recovery that hopefully will give you guys some hope and insight. Okay, so I am here with Dr. Miriam Sanchez. Hi, Miriam. Hi, Emily so nice to see you and so nice for you to be joining me here today so we are going to talk a bit about you know the fact that me and Miram, we both have a very unique experience of having had you know lived experience with an eating disorder and now working with eating disorders so I think the first thing that I wanted to kind of ask you is how do you use your lived experience when you are working with clients is that something that you're using and or is it something that you're more mindful of maybe not
1: bringing up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah i am really glad that you uh, asked me that question because i know there are different approaches uh, from professionals about this Many professionals uh, have lived experience with eating disorders, but some of them prefer not to talk about that. Uh, but others like me, and um, uh, I was, uh, you know, trained in the Caroline costin Institute. So Karen costin uh, specifically uh, trained us about how to use our lived and personal experience, living with an eating disorder and being recovered uh, with uh, from an eating disorder, to help better our clients so from my perspective I uh, do use my personal experience but I am very mindful about that so for example I don't use or I don't go into the details of my eating disorders and I definitely use my uh, you know my strategies how I uh, Cope with uh, recovery? Uh, how was the, my motivation? Uh, what techniques uh, did, uh, you know, uh, help me more uh, in my recovery process? Okay. And that kind of thing helped my clients a lot. Also, uh, with empathy and compassion, because uh, of course, it's not necessary for professionals to have and live, you know, with an eating disorder to help their clients. But of course, if you have lived with an eating disorder, you can connect better, more deeply with your clients if you use that experience very mindfully. So uh, definitely that connection, that emotional connection, that empathy, um, you know, make like more easy to create the, um, the therapeutic, alliance you know like the connection with my clients definitely yeah I, I noticed
0: that with clients that you know there will be a sense of you know they will trust me because I've been through it but it's always that balance between you know using your lived experience without making it about yourself right yeah. that's yeah. constantly the balance but yeah I, I think it's I think it's an interesting one. I think that lived experience, when utilized in a productive way, can be so, so helpful and really, like, strengthen that therapeutic alliance, right? Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we have to combine lived experience with a lot of reflection, a lot of study, a lot of abilities and skills. Like uh, you and me that uh, we work as uh, recovery coaches, no uh but uh, definitely life experience have uh, have a lot of um you know to help to our clients
0: mm-hmm. I think this is an interesting one because I talk with a lot of people with eating disorders that want to work on helping others, right, and very often they say, "I want to recover so I can help others with eating disorders, and I very often think like that is of course very good that's a great very like noble thing to want but i always tell people also make sure that you put on your own safety mask before Mm -hmm. helping others because Mm -hmm. i'm just thinking for myself if i had gone into the work i'm doing now when i was just fresh out of recovery that would have been very very triggering to me
1: right absolutely absolutely and i i understand that okay it was the same for me. I understand that if you have uh, recovered from an eating disorder, you have that motivation. Okay, I want to help people, you know, to have a good life, uh, to recover from this illness. I understand. Okay, and I, I think it's more than okay. But first, you have to be safe and you have to be ready, ready, and be uh, especially uh, be sure that you are fully recovered. It's not that you are in quasi-recovery, but we know the, you know, the hell of the quasi-recovery. And maybe you are in a, you know, very advanced in your recovery process, but you are still in that quasi-recovery place. And maybe you need some external help to be aware that you are not still fully recovered. Mm -hmm. So that's... uh, you know, a a first problem that uh, the person has to be in fully recovered. For example, the Caroline Costing Institute, if you want to uh, be trained by by the institute, you have, you know, uh, they they make interviews to see that you are fully recovered, not only physically and not, you know, we are not weight centric, you know, it's not about uh, physical, but your mental and emotional state has to be aligned with, you know, uh, good recover.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is so, so important. I do think that there's a little bit of a problem in the recovery community of people who are kind of like just jumping into being, you know, so-called recovery coaches without having taken time and without, you know, having had much training. And then it kind of that creates some unfortunate situations. So I think it's good that, for instance, like Carolyn Costa Institute has some kind of like check yeah. Not just like existing yeah, everyone, yeah.
1: yeah. And of course, although you make checks, checks, this kind of checks, of course there is no, you know, guarantee of one hundred percent that okay you are fully recovered, so you you can't uh, have a relapse, okay. But still, in the process of training as a coach or as psychotherapy or a nutritionist or whatever, you have to be uh, mindful. Uh, with yourself and check yourself when you, for example, put in the market and you are working professionally as a professional with people with eating disorders, you have to check with yourself and be very true about how are you feeling? How, how are you, you know, how, uh, how, how is your thinking about yourself, about your body image, about your eating? Because, okay, all the uh, past eating disorder triggers will be with you day after day.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is such a good point. That is actually so, so, so important. And, you know, another thing from one thing to another, another thing that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, the system of eating disorders, like eating disorder treatment system, like what is it? that they do right and wrong and i think you come with this from such a unique perspective because you know you come from like more like a clinical psychology background right and when you look at and of course you would be speaking from the perspective of spain what is it that the system in your opinion don't quite get and also is there something that they are quite good at is there any, like is, is there any positives what are the positives what are the negatives right because we kind of want to work with the system as well right <laughs>
1: Okay, so uh, let's be, uh, let's start with the positive, okay? (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, uh, in the, you know, in the last years, in the uh, healthcare uh, Spanish uh, system, there are some uh, good advancements. Like, for example, they have created these eating disorder units. Yeah? Uh, so with uh, multidisciplinary teams uh, including psychologists, psychiatrists um, doctors uh, nurses uh, nutritionists so they uh, they have created these uh, eating disorder units or clinics in different regions uh, within Spain. so I think this is uh, a positive step uh, towards you know uh, the the good treatment but there are many problems with this kind of units. First, from the point of view of the um, scarcity, because these resources are not enough. They are, you know, they have very low, for example, if we uh, talk about day uh, hospitals or, um, uh, you know, hospital care, uh, they, they are they are very, very, very few Uh, beds for people to to stay uh, there so they are definitely very few Uh, then um, about the quality because the quality of the treatment oh my god uh, sometimes is very low in terms of the treatments are this is mainstream okay the mainstream of treatments in spain are fat, uh, fat phobic and weight centric And this is, you know, the main problem I see, because from the psychology perspective, I see a lot of uh, improvement. For example, they apply uh, self-compassion and acceptance, uh, behavioral, uh, cognitive behavioral techniques from the um, psychology perspective is more than OK. But. When we talk about the uh, eating, the diet, the approach to nutrition, oh my God, that the quality reduced a lot because it's all about fat phobic. It's all about the diet mentality, demoralization of food. So that's the main problem I see.
0: Yeah, and I think that's so tricky because, I mean, you can do all of the, you can have all the self-compassion and CBT you want, but if you're being told essentially by your treatment team, oh let's focus on eating quote-unquote healthy don't eat too much mm-hmm. of that like that when you have an eating disorder it's just so detrimental and that's something I hear a lot from people who've gone through you know traditional system although you know it's been helpful in the way that it's maybe have even saved their lives when they've been at a point where they needed medical intervention or it's just been you know having one way or another help them but then it comes to a point where the medical like for instance their dietitian will be like oh yeah it's fine if you you know you don't eat cake right because it's like yep whatever and then they kind of feel like they stay stuck in quasi recovery because they essentially the treatment i feel like mainstream eating disorder treatment it's kind of it's about keeping people out of hospital and keeping people you know medically stable rather than making people 100% free and i guess this is more where me and you come into the picture like i will dig in with my clients to find like what is it that you're avoiding what is it that you fear and then we go do that right And I think this is something that I mean, hopefully, it's becoming more of it, at least in Norway, they do that a bit. Uh, But it's something I think is overall quite missing, like focusing on challenging fears and rewiring fears, not just, you know, weight and weight restoration. Of course, that's important. It's so, so important. But you also need to focus on rewiring fears, right? What do you think?
1: Uh, absolutely. Uh, I work uh, with an approach that uh, we, we not only focus on uh, nutritional rehabilitation, including in some cases, you know, the weight restoration, but also the neural rewiring. Because, okay, you can gain the weight you need uh, to, to, to your set point range uh, if you eat like veggies and fruits and fish and eggs, but if you still keep, uh, you know, with a lot of food, uh, feed food feed foods, and you are not able to uh, eat whatever you want, whenever you want, then you have a problem because, you know, you still have a lot of fears around food and you still uh, fear that if you eat uh, in some um, ways, you will gain weight. So that's, you know, the core fear in eating disorders
0: mm-hmm. yeah that is so so important and i think that's so important you know the whole thing with like rewiring the brain and just because it's like with eating disorders the brain will just connect certain foods with fear and certain foods with certain actions like if i eat this something bad will happen right and so much of what i'm doing with my clients is like they go out and they eat a fear food and then they realize the world actually didn't end. And when they do that, they do it once. Maybe they can't feel it right after. I mean, they might get like a boost of confidence, but then when you keep repeating that you keep repeating and challenging your fears, it's the same. I always use the metaphor. I feel like I use this metaphor so many times, especially on podcasts, but it's like when someone is scared of dogs you actually do need to go to the dog park. Gradually expose yourself to it. You can't just sit at home reading about dogs. You need to actually go out there and do it right. And I think that's so so important. Like the rewiring part of recovery is just so 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 important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Exposure exposure therapy is, you know, the way to go to uh, overcome this kind of phobia about eating and food. But the main problem is that, you know, Amalie, that it's not only that in the society we have a lot of uh, fear-morgharing about food and eating and orthoresic tendencies, but, you know, the irony for me is that in treatment centers, the most fat phobic and fear gain about food and orthoracic is in the in the professional, uh, in the professionals. Yes. <laughs> because most, because yes. some of them, I don't want to generalize, okay? But many nutritionists that I know and the advice they they give to people with eating disorders uh, are, you know, in, ingrained in aphoresic tendencies, in diet culture. So it's impossible to... Recover from a restrictive eating disorder or an eating disorder with more restriction. Restriction leads to restriction. So it's impossible, you know.
0: That is so true. And I think this is what is so frustrating because I always tell people with eating disorders, of course, you need to seek help, you need to, you know, get a dietitian. But then it's also part of me knows that there are some people who are going to do that and then have a dietitian that themselves is invested in diet culture and I think this is what I tell people over and over that diet culture and fat phobia is so ingrained in our society and it's unfortunately also ingrained in the medical system again it doesn't mean everyone because there are a lot of amazing dietitians who have really really healthy views on you know food body etc etc and amazing people but unfortunately it's a little bit one too many where I will hear from people who've gone To a dietitian and been told not to eat this and that, and just gotten their eating disorder reinforced. So I think this is just unfortunate. Like it's not only that certain practitioners can be ineffective, but it's certain certain cases they can almost make it worse, right? And that is just something that for me is just I don't know what would the solution to this be. I'm thinking training, but. Are, is it maybe the training itself is not covering this like what is going on because i i heard that in in the uk a gp gets uh, less than two the average gp get less than two hours training on eating disorders and a, a lot of them get zero hours like what do you think would be the solution training what, what what are your thoughts you know what what can the system what what needs to change here
1: yeah 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 I, um i think uh, there are of course the solution is not easy Okay, and it's not quick, but of course in the training uh, is essential because it's not about only um, the doctors, it's about the uh, nut- nutritionists, dietit- the the psychologists. Okay, they receive a fat phobic, weight-centric and diet uh, mentality um, training. So doctors, especially, for example, endocrinology, some specialties within the medicine is basically weight-centric. So that's the the first problem. In the training of these people, they are developing their mindsets. So if when the doctor goes to the uh, faculty and they are told that okay, the problem of all these uh, illnesses, the, the main risk factor is obesity, quote unquote, oh, obesity. Yeah, okay. That's the first problem because they associate, uh, they are pathologizing some uh, weights and they are associating the weight to the illness. So gaining weight or having some weight is bad. And this is, you know, the, the, the main problem. And also because they are, trained with the idea that uh, people can have the weight they want. It's just, you know, self-control. It's about self-control. It's about self-discipline. So, okay, weight is not something that is determined by genetics, by biological factors. No, 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 no. If you mm, eat this and that, and if you move this and that, basically uh, diet culture, then you will have this weight. So then the the doctors and also the the dietitians and many psychologists too, uh, think that if they are working with fat people, with people with a higher uh, weight, it's their guilt. It's not Mm -hmm. about, you know, their biology is not, it's not a a pathology. So I think this is a big problem, uh, first in the training and also in the culture. So we have, you know, this coalition this correlation between the socio-cultural factors and the training factors in the medical faculties uh, dieticians, and uh, other health professionals
0: mm-hmm. yes 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 that is so 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 spot on there is this like myth that our body is like something we can just kind of like mold ourselves and it's something like it's literally just energy in, energy out and then you decide your own body but that's not really how our bodies work. We could all eat the exact same and we would still have different bodies, right? And this is just such a key, like, like, because this, this is the thing I often like think about, like, you can't have a treatment a treatment professional that fears the same thing as the eating disorder, right? If you have that, then I mean, what are you going to do? It's like going to treatment for a dog phobia to someone who's terrified of dogs who keep talking about, oh, be careful with dogs though. They might bite you, right? It's like, it's, you're not going to get better, right? So I think it's so, so important what you say that it's just like, And I hate that, that there's no simple solution. It'd be very easy to just point fingers and be like this, that, this, that, that's how we solve it. Right. But that this is actually like a systemic issue. This is like a wider societal issue. It's the training, but it's also like the beliefs of the culture. And like, and I think that is just, it feels sometimes overwhelming when you look at it, you feel a bit powerless. I don't know. Do you feel that? I sometimes just look up and I'm just like, there's so much to, there's so much here. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. Sometimes, you know, because um, I I uh, align myself with uh, health at every size, fat acceptance, uh, movements, body neutrality, this kind of uh, movements that I uh, I appreciate a lot. But I always say that thanks that I am able to uh, read in English, speak in English, I am learning about those approaches because in Spanish. In Spanish, you know, in Spain, in Latin American, it's even worse, um, you don't have training in these new uh, frameworks, in these in new paradigms of weight inclusive, uh, health at every size, uh, so... This is a problem because first, many healthcare professionals don't know about these new paradigms. Is okay, not new because, you know, there are a lot of research and many ideas of fat acceptance movement and these kind of things. But first is ignorance. And then some of them, some professionals know about the existence of these uh, new paradigms, but they are very resistant, you know, of change their mindset, open their uh, view. And of course, we know they um, fear to lose the privilege they have. Imagine that you go to a um, clinic uh, that uh, do these surgeries to reduce uh, weight. And mm, from one day to another, they close the business. So they don't do money, you know, they mm. don't do money because they are, uh, they are selling weight loss. Mm. When, we know, when we know that that's not an intervention uh, based on health they they are no evidence to support that uh, weight loss interventions
0: Mm -hmm. you know this is the thing and i think this is in general when you see something kind of like follow the money right and then you see that with diet culture it is big bucks like this is a million if not billion dollar industry making people feel like their bodies are wrong is big money. It is big, big money. And the thing with diet culture is that it creates repeat customers because we know, me and you know, that dieting doesn't work. We know that 95% of dieters will regain weight often with more back. And that is a genius from a marketing perspective. That's genius because it creates repeat customers, right? Because you go on a diet and because of anything else that had a 95% failure rate, like imagine if there was a medicine with a 95% failure rate, you'd be like, this medicine don't work. But because diet culture becomes tied in with moral, it's this belief that if you didn't succeed with something with a 95% failure rate, it is a failure on your part. And you just need to try harder and try again. So you try again and you try again and you try again and you have a repeat customer there. So like, I hate it from an ethical point of view, but from a marketing and just consumer point of view, it is genius. Right. But it is, it is just, it's just, yeah. It's just when you look at it, it's like, wow, this is a scam. Right. And I think a lot of people who work with eating disorders or just have, a, have had an eating disorder and just have that moment of realizing this is all a big scam. Like this diet culture is a scam. Right.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I always say that, you know, it's it's so difficult and challenging. And for this, all my compassion for people now in recovery from eating disorder, because more than ever, it's so difficult to recover from the eating disorder because we know that eating disorders have a system. Cease- always it's not something new it's not you know a consequence of diet culture no another mm-hmm. thing is that diet culture is a factor that you know challenges the recovery process make the recovery more uh, difficult or it's a um, you know a, a factor a risk factor to develop an eating disorder but anorexia and all the eating disorders have a cease um, you know yes. for ages yes. it's not yes. something new but of course the rates of eating disorders have increased because mm-hmm. of, of this uh, sociocultural uh, environment we live in. Of course, is exactly. for that. Exactly, exactly. So, so it, it's really difficult, but you know the, the worst harmful and irony thing I see is in the eating disorder treatment centers. So, you know, I, you know, it's it, it brokens my heart when people, my clients said to me, Okay, I've been in that clinic or in that hospital, and the nutritionist or the psychiatrist or the psychologist told me, Oh, you you can't have you can eat. Because you have a body mass index of whatever, within the normal range, more than 20 or whatever. And you can't eat more. So if you have more hunger, you can't eat more calories because you have to eat the calories we put on your meal plan. Oh my God. Oh my God.
0: Yes. This is the thing. Like, and this is so a treatment centers will very often, they will set a specific BMI as you know like a minimum but of course what very often goes wrong here is that it'll get assumed that this is a maximum and now i think it'll also is again it's the eat the treatment professionals fearing what the eating disorder fear like they're thinking that if we allow someone to go above that minimum they're going to panic and relapse and then we're going to have another patient again but actually what you see is that when you allow someone to get to their set point weight mentally and physically they become so much healthier and actually my I was I felt like I actually had good experience with treatment professionals because my psychologist even though we worked on a minimum BMI that I needed to achieve just you know to be safe but of course I needed to go above that eventually but that was like a minimum BMI but we we she showed me like a graph and she said that if you actually go higher if you go above that minimum of like 20 that was like the minimum bare minimum before they were like Yeah. And she said that if you go above that, you're actually statistically less likely to relapse. Right. And I'm so glad she told me that she showed me like the graph and everything. But again, I was felt like I was very lucky with my psychologist because I will have clients who are told, oh, you are at the BMI of, let's say, 20 now. And then you should eat this meal plan and stay there, because if you gain more, you might freak out and relapse. Right. And of course, the eating disorder will interpret this as it is bad to be above a BMI-20, but actually what they mean, I had this conversation with my sister because she's um, she she used to work with eating disorders, also a psychologist. And she said that the reason why they're setting these things and the reasons why they're saying, you know, BMI-20 and not encouraging going over it is because they're scared that the person will relapse. But it's just not based in science. It's based in their own views and projections. It's based on them fearing what the eating disorder fears. Because when I get clients to me, very often what they're saying is they're saying, I want to reach my set point weight. They're not saying I want to reach this, not this thing. I want to reach my set point weight, right? I think Mm -hmm. this is just what I wish treatment center understood that people with eating disorders very often are actually willing to collaborate and work on recovery work on full recovery.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's another problem because you know that uh, many professionals don't believe in full recovery, so that's yes. another problem. Yes. Another big problem because many doctors and psychologists, I talk about uh, with with them a lot about this, uh, and they say to me, okay, this is like a chronic illness. You just have to, you know, get used to that, to the symptoms. You just control not to... It's very, very, very low, but it's not so bad. Oh, my yes. God. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I have had several clients that have come to
0: me and said I have been told I was told that this is something I'm never going to get rid of this is something that's going to be there forever and don't get me wrong there are people who have an eating disorder for the rest of their lives but not even saying that it's not possible like imagine if people said that to for instance like drug addiction or alcoholism like you're never you're going to drink for the rest of your life right like that's that's just not true like recovery is possible like recovery is absolutely possible but imagine the eat the fuel for the eating disorder if you have been told by your treatment professionals that recovery is not possible and this is chronic it's essentially inviting the eating disorder to stay right it's telling the eating disorder make it make it your home here because you're here to stay when actually it's just an annoying guest that you want to kick out. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that creates a negative self-fulfilling uh, prophecy, you know, yes. that limiting beliefs that, OK, if the doctor told me that I can't recover, why is the, you know, the effort for? Because we know that first um, the recovery feels worse until it feels better. Yes, So. Of course, if the person with the eating disorder feels very worse in the beginning of the uh, recovery process, and then the uh, treatment team uh, told her, "Okay, it's not uh, you know you can't recover," so that's why, okay, I you know I failed. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I definitely. am in the
1: process, so yeah. you know so those yeah. limiting beliefs about the recovery is not possible. I think harm a lot to be yes
0: it's so 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 harmful and yeah well I'm just thinking for myself if I've been told that full recovery was oh that's just not possible for you that would have really really damaged me and I always tell people like I tell my clients like I'm not ever like I don't use the word like chronic Case, I don't. I don't deny that there are people who have anything over the rest of their lives. There are people who never recover, and we can respect and support people regardless of where they are in their journey. Uh, but I still think that saying that this is something that it's impossible to recover from, or this is something that you'll always kind of have you'll always have i would think that it's fair to say you'll always have the vulnerability right you always you know have a risk of relapse statistically and you always will i know for myself as someone who's had an eating disorder that i can never go on a diet i know that if i went on a diet even though i am mentally like recovered my body like i will certain things will shift in my head that would not be very good right but saying that recovery is not possible oh, no it's it's frustrating yeah. right and it's like because yeah, well, it's not possible for you because you're not treating your patient with the right approach. Your patient is not recovering. Of course, recovery is not possible when you're telling your patient they can't go over that BMI or they can't eat more than those calories, because obviously then they're not going to recover. They're not going to suddenly wake up and be be free. Right. So it's like maybe treatment professionals should also look within if they are actually facilitating full recovery.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course, uh, this is very important because this belief of uh, full recovery is not possible uh, hands the clients, hands the the patients, but also hands the professional because if you think that it's not possible, especially when you work with uh, people with long-term eating disorders, this is important to talk about. Uh, If you have a patient, for example, with more than 20 years, uh, long-term eating disorders, um you know this category i you know i i hate the category of chronic eating disorder you know comes to the mind of the doctor or the um, treatment uh, team and then the way they treat the patient is different so uh, less effort, less focus on uh, these people. So I prefer to focus more on the younger people, for example, or people who, with eating disorders who have, you know, certain eating disorders. Because then my expect- my, my expectation and my uh, success rate can increase. You know, mm-hmm. so these kind of biases, this kind of beliefs. In the treatment centers and treatment teams, is very important to work and to explicit and to uh, combat because them can affect the, effic- the efficacy of the treatment. But not because uh, recovery is not uh, possible, but because of the beliefs and the biases of professionals. The beliefs about the recovery process.
0: Mm-hmm. That is so 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 important. And wow, I have to say I really appreciate you know you sharing some of these insights. You had some wow, these are some really, really good insights. And again, you have the unique perspective of you know being in the system as a patient, psychologist, and now as a coach and seeing it from like all angles. And I want also like applaud you for spreading the message in Spanish because I know that a lot of it is in English. So for people who don't speak English, there can be, you know, a big like block. Like you can't, you can't access it, right? So the fact that you are spreading the word in Spanish and offering these resources is amazing. I wish my Spanish was a bit better so I could like tune in and understand everything. Cause I, I'm like, I'm like reading and I understand like a of it, and my Spanish is quite bad. And I'm just like, I wanna understand your post better. <laughs> Because yeah, it's yeah. so, so, so important. And yeah, especially I've I've gotten quite a few messages from people from Latin America that says that the system there is like quite bad and there's completely no resources. So hopefully like yeah, hopefully a lot of them find their way to yeah, your page. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, you know I have many connections with professionals and people in Latin America, and the situations there is is very worse uh, about treatment, mm-hmm. about even the the awareness in the society about uh, this uh, this disorder. So it's well, it's very. Uh, very sad Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's why I you know I translated uh, two of the recovery books from Tabitha Farrar because Mm -hmm. um, their blog their work in general from Tabitha Farrar Mm -hmm. uh, helped me a lot and that's why you know three four years ago I don't remember (laughs) you know I had the decision to okay I have to uh, you know I want to spread uh, the the word in Spanish because I know I receive. You know, many, many messages from people in Latin America or people in Spain, you know, that they don't have uh, the money, you know, they don't have money or they don't have access to good uh, treatment centers. And at least they have the uh, knowledge in the book. So, you know, uh, they, this is a topic for another uh, podcast, but, uh, you know, this uh, question is possible the recovery without treatment? you know, mm-hmm. without receiving professional uh, mm-hmm. support. That's, you know, a topic for another. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, I think that the most important thing in the in the recovery is uh, the person, is mm-hmm. the, you know, the implication, the commitment, the de- 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 determination of the uh, people with the eating disorder that uh, they will do whatever they need Until they are fully recovered. So, Mm -hmm. this is the most important thing because I know many people who have access to the best, the best quote unquote, the best treatment centers, the best quote unquote Mm -hmm. um, uh, professionals, but still, if they are not Mm committed to do whatever they have to do, uh, not only with the eating and food stuff, but also with other areas, you know, the rewiring and the, um, you know, some. more deep work uh, they have to do emotionally speaking uh, okay you still will live with an eating disorder Mm -hmm. so it's not only about the quality of the treatment it's especially about the commitment of the person living with an eating disorder
0: wow that is very very powerful and very true and also that's an interesting conversation i think i need to like invite you on again (laughs) so I feel like that is such an interesting one but this episode is getting it long so I guess that will be for another future potential episode um yeah so I want to really really thank you for coming on and it's been so lovely to hear your perspective and I think my audience really enjoys it as well It's so yeah I want to really thank you for your time
1: Thank you for having me to your podcast I am you know very happy. I I feel sorry that my uh, English is not so fluent. Oh uh, no, your English either. is great. Your English is great. And
0: actually the majority of my uh, listeners are non-native English speakers and I have a lot of like like I'll have guests that are, you know, not always Good. native you English know. speakers. But your English is great so that is no problem at all. Yeah
1: thank you but you know in my balance of okay i will read uh, i will take this read or not you know uh, all of us have these uh, little insecurities yes. but still i think it's better to spread the word even if my english is not perfect i prefer huh? to take the risk and spread the word yes. uh, to you know to not to get to know people that recovery is possible yeah. There are many resources that, okay, we don't have, you know, like a very uh, compassionate and very helpful uh, culture now, but still you can recover. Although we live in this fat phobic diet culture, Mm. you still can recover.
0: Yes, exactly. So essentially, fear, feel the fear and do it anyways, whether that is you know, going on a podcast when English is not your first language or jumping into recovery. Feel the fear yeah. and do it anyway. Okay. That's
1: my favorite mantra. <laughs> yes,
0: mine as well. Thank you so much, Miriam.
1: I hope you enjoyed this conversation and
0: you can follow Miriam on Instagram at Coach or at recovered to be on Instagram.